Okay, hi everybody, this is A7X Fan Ben with God Mason here, and this is episode two of the Pirate CSG podcast. So today we're just going to talk about advice for new players and new collectors, and just advice in general for people that are new to the game. Alright, this sounds like a really good topic. Um, I'd say, do you think we should start with what sets people should look into buying? Yeah, yeah, we could start with that. And I th- I'd say... Um, They'd they'd really be best starting off with one of the two cheapest sets, uh, either Spanish Main or Ocean's Edge. I think they got the two biggest print runs, Mm -hmm. so they're still pretty easy to find and relatively cheap. Um, But of the two, I'd probably recommend Spanish Main. Yeah, same here, pretty much. Biggest thing with Spanish Main is it's the first set that was released, so that's really good for a newbie to start with, you know, the original set. And I do have a bit of bias because it's still my favorite set, but it is a really good one. It has a lot of good ships. It does only have three factions, so that's one advantage Ocean's Edge has. Ocean's Edge has all six of the big six factions, and it also has a lot more diversity of like ship types, and there's like sea creatures and stuff like that. At the same time, I'd call all that diversity a disadvantage, because yeah. if when you're limited to the three sets of... Uh, the three factions of Spanish main, you know, England, pirate, and Spain, you've, you're only going to get stuff from those three factions. Yep. Uh, there's a huge proportion of good stuff in there compared to say ocean's Edge, which is, I guess one of the weaker sets overall. Yep. But, um, but after, uh, yeah, I mean, you've got ships like HMS Titan. Yep. Um, uh, what was it? HMS Oxford? Is it? Or am I thinking of the wrong ship? Oh, that's revolution. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, wait, no, I'm thinking of HMS Dover. Yeah, that's a good one, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's just kind of simple. You're not overloaded with keywords and all that, yeah. so that's where I'd recommend starting. Yeah. But a, after that. Yeah, that is a really good point, because somebody that's totally new to the game has never bought anything, has never played the game, they would want to start with, like, as simple as it gets. And I've taught a bunch yeah. of people, and they a lot of, most of the people I've taught so far how to play, they say that it's pretty much, like, the most complicated game they've played. So for, like, non-board gamers, um, starting with, like, a, a really simple set and, like, the more simple rules and, like you said, less keywords, I think that would probably be, I would agree that's probably the best way to get started. And along with that, uh, Revolution is actually not really that rare. It's a mm-hmm. little more expensive than, you know, Davy Jones Curse or Ocean's Edge on average, like, per pack prices. But Pirates mm-hmm. of the Revolution is the third set, and it's another really good set, like Spanish Main. It's also pretty simple. And it's uh, it introduces the American faction, which a lot of people like. So Revolution is another good set to look into when you're first starting. Yeah, I'd I'd almost recommend Revolution as a uh, as something to invest in once you kind of know you like the game, though. Yeah. Because I mean, yeah, it's not rare, but people do charge a lot for it because it's basically the most popular set. Mm-hmm. So, I mean. That one's even, it's got even more good stuff than Spanish Main. I don't think we'll really argue that. Yeah. Banshee's Cry. Yeah, it's a great set. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but, I mean, as far as uh, things to either, I mean, I'm trying to skew towards the Ocean's Edge and Davy Jones Curse thing because they're both really cheap. Mm-hmm. But I'm trying to figure out how to recommend them as, uh, as like, once you've bought into, say, Spanish Main and Revolution, where would you, uh, where would you rank those on the hierarchy? Like, would you say, okay, buy some of those after that because they're cheap and they've got some some cool stuff, or would you say hold off till last? I would I would think that's fine. I think it depends on the person's preference for like the cursed and like sea monsters because Davy Jones Curse and Ocean's Edge they're both cheap and they also mm-hmm. both of them focus on the supernatural elements quite a bit. So if you don't like that as much, uh, Barbary Coast is actually not that expensive, and uh, even some of the later sets that have not that many sea creatures. They have some weird, like, pokey ships, some strange ships, but they're also, <laughs> like, like Rise of the Fiends and Fire and Steel. Uh, most of the ships in those sets are actually pretty normal, like, mostly sailing ships. So if you're not as into the supernatural and the sea monsters and stuff like that, you could stay away from Davy Jones' Curse and Ocean's Edge a bit more, but if you like that stuff and you like the Cursed as a faction, I would say go for it. Yeah, that's a really good point. The The whole supernatural stuff with the sea monsters and all that, they they were really divisive. I don't think the Cursed ever needed to be their own faction, yeah. if I'm honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and even, never mind whether or not you like them, 
a lot of the sea monsters that were added into the game were just way too expensive to use, considering they were kind of expendable units. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, uh, I definitely, uh, I kind of came to the same conclusion that you did, that Barbary Coast would be the next best one. It's not my favorite set, because I don't really yeah. like the Corsairs. Yeah. But but it does still have a really good balance of uh, simplicity having quality ships and being easily attainable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I found it yeah. pretty cheap, actually. And uh, I would say it's a pretty good set to invest in. One thing to remember there is the the pirates are not technically in that set. The Barbary Corsairs kind of replaced them for that set. So anybody oh. who's listening, if the pirates are your favorite faction, they're not actually in the Barbary Coast set. But other than that, the Barbary Coast set doesn't have that many flaws. It's a pretty awesome set. For the most part and it's very it is very balanced i would say probably one of the most balanced sets like you don't get like mm-hmm. terrible ships and amazing ships like side by side it's it's very there's a lot of parody in that set like as a standalone set yeah i'll definitely agree with you there and until you mentioned it i actually hadn't noticed that the pirates have been all but absent from that i yeah. don't recall ever seeing a pirate ship from that set yeah yeah it's a weird one and especially because they still called they still called it pirates of the Barry coast they could have called it, like, you know, I guess Corsairs of Barry Coast or something like that, but they didn't want to change the name, understandably. And, yeah, like I said, yeah. like the Corsairs are essentially pirates, like, historically, so they basically just took the place of the pirates for that set alone. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, because you'd want to keep the name on the pack so people know that it's part of the same uh, yeah. same line of products. Yeah. Um, let's see, after, so Spanish Main Revolution and then Barbary Coast. Um, and then... Uh, Davy Jones Curse and Ocean's Edge, potentially, especially yeah. if you like the supernatural stuff. Other than yeah. that, some of the other sets are... We could just go through them each real quick. Like, Crimson, yeah, Crimson Coast is pretty rare nowadays. I don't know. It's I've really seen a scarcity of it in the past few years. I don't really see that many packs, even on eBay. So Crimson Coast is actually a great set. It's one of my favorites, but mm-hmm. it's definitely not uh, attainable. Like uh, Spanish Main Revolution are, and the other two we mentioned, Davy Jones, Curse, and Ocean's Edge. And then yeah. from there, yeah. like South China Seas is uh, famous for being the least common set because it's it got a short uh, print run. It was hardly in stores like at all. I never saw it when I was into the game back then. I mean, I didn't really know what sets were out and stuff like that. I didn't really keep it up with the online stuff. I didn't even know there was like a online community. But South China Seas. I would recommend the set, but not to newbies much because it's going to be really expensive to get much of anything from that set. So that's yeah. more of, it's more of kind of like an advanced like collecting thing. So it, it is yeah. a lot more rare than any other set. Yeah, I I think we could almost segment these into um, sort of beginner, um, intermediate, and sort of binge hardcore like us yeah. collecting sets. Yeah. Um, in the newbie set, I would say, yeah, Spanish Main Revolution and probably Barbary Coast. Mm-hmm. And then I guess somewhere between that and the intermediate, I'd put Ocean's Edge and Davy Jones Curse because they're very cheap, yep. easy to get your hands on, but, you know, divisive and not everything in them is good quality. Yeah. Um, let's see. Where to go from there? Oh, Mysterious Islands. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> my favorite set and also the one that I ranked as the worst in a uh, ranking thread a while ago because uh-huh. it's it's exceedingly rare these days. Mm-hmm. Um, the packs and the promo material never really got great circulation. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you want, you can find the uh, the convention pack. Yeah, that North one's easy. Yeah. That one is so cheap and it's kind of cool stuff, but it's not very good. Yeah, it's it's probably worth getting your hands on if yeah. you want to expand your collection to some cool yeah. stuff. It's also like a good way to experiment with submarines. Cause if you look for mm-hmm. the actual mercenary submarines, they're going to be more expensive. So you could get like the, the cursed ones from that convention pack and then just kind of see if you like submarines in general and then maybe buy more of the set based on that. Yeah, that's yeah, a good point. Cool. I mean, it, it's funny cause I, you'd think that the submarines that are not mercenaries and for anybody who's new that's listening mercenary was a keyword in a faction only existent in mysterious islands uh they're basically considered the worst faction because they can't actually dock at their home island so i mean you know as a result it's next to impossible to run gold with them and that makes them basically just warships but they're not really cheap enough to be disposable so they fall into the same uh 
same pitfall as the cursed and their sea monsters do. But um, most of the game submarines are of the mercenary faction, so you know there's they've kind of limited utility. Yeah. But uh, there are a few that belong to other factions. I believe there's one pirate. I, I forget what yeah. it's called. Yeah. Oh, oh Coloptera. I don't know how oh, to say yeah. it. But, yeah. I think it's Coliotera, maybe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm I'm picky about pronunciation. Yeah. Um, but it's unfortunately not a great ship. I wouldn't even rank it in the top half of submarines. Yeah. And the cursed subs are also kind of not great. But yeah, they're just kind of mediocre. Yeah, they're cool enough to kind of play with and use a couple times though, because if you're using yeah. those, you don't really care about winning. Yeah. Whereas the, I I personally and. I'm speaking from a position where I like the American faction, so I'm a little bit biased here, but I'm sure you'll partially agree that the USS Mercury and the USS Lehman are two of the best, not necessarily the best. Yeah. Yeah, they're both really great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I I have... uh, I have one game that I played once where I put, I think it was Ocean's Edge, Montana Maze, and a Helmsman aboard the USS Layman yeah. and stayed submerged the whole game. So, you know, I was basically sometimes moving up to 6S in a turn, yep. and uh, I could ram and board, and even if I lost the boarding, I'd lose no crew for it. Yeah. So I That's utterly cool. terrorized people in that game. Yeah, yeah. I think you posted that come on Miniature Trading, the forum, and I think mm-hmm. I saw that, yeah. Yeah, I think I must have posted that sometime. Yeah. Um, let's see. Back to sets. Yeah. Uh, Frozen North. Where would you? Oh, I, I'll cap off the uh, mysterious islands thing by saying mm-hmm. only buy into that set if you're getting kind of hardcore. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Mysterious Islands is interesting too because the name of the set, the island, there were island effects on the islands, and uh, yeah. I would say that's kind of a. It's interesting at first, but it's kind of a mechanic that was a little overpowered because you get some islands that are pretty fair. And you get some that have effects that can totally dominate the game and not usually in a good way. So that's another thing to keep in mind. That was the other gimmick from that set, along with, like, the submarines and mercenary faction. Yeah, it adds a little bit more RNG slop into it. And, I mean, I suppose that's kind of inherent with a game where you roll dice. But Mm -hmm. still, it's not something everybody wants to go through when they dock at an island. Yeah. Um, I I would say Frozen North. I would say... That one would be pretty low priority for a new player or a new collector. It's definitely not a common set at all. I guess it's become a little bit more common the last few years, but it's definitely one of the more expensive sets. Uh, It doesn't really feature a lot of great stuff. I want to say uh, Cadet Captain Mike, I think I want to say it was like the slowest set for average ship speed, or maybe at least it was in the bottom two or three. And then the, the unique part of the set were the Vikings and icebergs, neither of which and are really all that great. So, yeah, the longships of the Vikings are kind of strange, and they're not historically accurate at all. So mm-hmm. from a playing and a collecting standpoint, Frozen North isn't really one of the better sets. It's definitely interesting, and it has some gems in there, but overall I wouldn't put it as like a high priority. Yeah, I'd put that as kind of an advanced collector set. Um, the icebergs my playgroup really likes um the game has never really been influenced that much by them but everybody kind of likes to have an obstacle around yeah uh one of these days i'm gonna punch out every iceberg i have and just utterly cover the play board with it and be the only person to use an icebreaker nice (laughs) you should like um, have you grouped them together to make like a super iceberg like two or more of them Kind of. I I really should do something like that because what I've noticed is, you know, there are only six, uh, six numbers on icebergs. Mm -hmm. Uh, so basically you just get groups of them moving in these kind of weird sort of, if sort of a, an almost scripted feeling fashion. Yeah. 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 I usually try to like rotate them so they're not like pointing in the same direction with the numbers. And then sometimes I'll like change stuff like during the game in terms of how I operate them and stuff. but Yeah, we just kind of slap them down and they end up moving wherever. Yeah, exactly. But they've rarely changed the outcome of a game, as far as I know. Yeah, same um, here, pretty much, yeah. As far as long ships go, I was... Because um, I guess we're on, really on the topic of Frozen North. Mm-hmm. For long ships, I always felt that they were, for the most part, drastically overpriced. Yeah. And... 
the ability isn't really fitting of what they'd be used for. Yeah, that's my least favorite part about them. It doesn't really make any sense. Basically, for anybody listening that doesn't know, Longship, the keyword gives you two shots per mast, which gives you a lot of firepower, but the ship is still really fragile. And uh, mm-hmm. it doesn't make any sense, because historically, Viking Longships carried probably no cannons most of the time, so they were mostly like a boarding and raiding nation. Um, so it didn't really make any sense for them to have like a ton of firepower on their ships. I think, as a matter of fact, cannons weren't even really invented by... Uh, yeah. The, I'm pretty sure the golden age of the Vikings was the l- late first millennium, like, uh-huh. I think between six and 800 AD, uh-huh. which is so far off the golden age of sail yeah. that it's almost comical. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Um, <laughs> uh, one fix I had for that, which I think makes them almost viable, is instead of, you know, two shots per mast, I think they should get plus three to their boarding rolls. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting concept. I like Cap- Captain Mike. He said basically take away the two shots per mass and then cut their point costs like in half, basically. Mm. I like that solution too. It's an interesting a lot one. Powerful. Yeah. I'd have to uh, to look at some of the long ships I have because I don't really have many, but yeah. I, I personally want to play test both ideas to see. I mean, there are some ships that, you know, only move ass, so they're yeah. kind of uh, they're probably a better choice for that ladder and mm-hmm. oh whatever. Yeah. It'll be a house rule type of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so continuing with the sets, we have come to Ocean's Edge, which we talked about. It's kind of like it's interesting for a beginner to get into a little, probably a little too complicated. Too many factions, maybe to really build up like one faction or to get like good generic crew um, for a ship or whatever. But Ocean's Edge, pretty good set. It's by far the cheapest set. So a lot of newbies mm-hmm. do get into the game with the set, which I think is fine. Has some good stuff in it. A few like overpowered options, but a lot of like average yeah. or mediocre ships. So pretty good set overall. The defining characteristics were pretty controversial. I don't really think about them that much. When it comes to OE, I usually think about like the cost and the diversity mm-hmm. of stuff you get in the set. But some yeah. of the, the cons were that uh you saw some really bizarre ship types, so like sharks, giant crabs, and sea dragons, <laughs> which all of which were pretty strange. And, and they didn't appear outside the set because they weren't any good. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, the nice thing, the one thing about that, kind of similar to the scorpions and rise of the fiends, is that there's only like three sharks, three crabs, and like two or three sea dragons. So it's not, it's not, yeah. they don't really dominate the set or anything. So yeah, one of which didn't even appear in Ocean's Edge. It was yeah. later, it was like slated to come out later, but then it got delayed another yeah. set. Yeah, we'll yeah. talk about that uh, either later this podcast yeah. or in another episode. Yeah, probably another. Uh, one. <laughs> real quick, I actually kind of want to go through. Um, you know how there's a top 10 Ocean's Edge units post due yeah. soon? I don't mm-hmm. remember who's writing it. Yeah. I wrote out my own comment to leave on that, and uh, I want to get your take on my top 10. Yeah, that sounds good. Uh, all right. Um, number one, Virtuous Wind. Yeah, that makes sense. It, I, I mean, that probably makes sense. It's it's almost like a better version of already one of the best ships from uh, South China Seas. Yeah. Be, just by virtue of being Spanish, I think it moves two S instead of S and L. Yeah. But uh, aside from that, the fact that it's got so much better of a crew selection means yeah. you can literally do everything with it. You yeah. can make it really fast. You can make it a warship, and you can run gold from either home islands or from uh, from wild islands because yep. it's got that uh, home island stealing yeah. ability. Yeah, I think I'll talk about this on a different podcast because we were going to do like a set review yeah. of all the different sets. So maybe we yeah, can talk about idea. it when you talk about OE. And, and I haven't done, I haven't done like my top ten for this set yet either, so it's kind of mm-hmm. hard for me to like think about it like on the fly. So it'll be easier Good point. later. But... Good point. And actually, maybe uh, if we have time at the end of this, we might be able to give our uh, our own opinions on the different sets after this. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So onward to uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Yep. I don't know about you, but I don't like mixing my fantasy worlds that much. Okay. So I I don't rate this set all that high but technically it's got a really large amount of good content uh-huh. it's not outrageously expensive it's simple because it's only got the uh, it's only got pirates and england so yep. it's got good factions yep. um yeah i like this oh. one actually i think it's really cool that they partnered with disney i i just i'm just like a fan of the fact that they did that in general but mm-hmm. from like a collecting, like talking about like newbies getting into the game and stuff like that, 
I would, uh, I don't know, I would recommend it maybe. The tough part is there's not, like, generic crew, very many of them, so it's kind of yeah, weird. It's definitely a weird set to get into if you did it first, because there's only two factions, which can be good, though, because then mm-hmm. you don't get, you know, crew from all sorts of factions without, like, the ships to use them on. So I think it's, like, a decent set to get into uh, when you're new, but especially if you're, like, a Pirates of the Caribbean fan. So if you don't enjoy the movies mm-hmm. as much, I definitely wouldn't recommend it, of course, but overall, it's kind of like a middling option, just kind of a kind of a weird one, actually. Yeah, it's got a lot of good stuff, but the lack of generic crew, which I'd forgotten about, thanks for reminding me, mm-hmm. was that's really one of the biggest problems with the sets. Also, yeah. the way they kind of printed the unique treasures and some of the other crew yeah. makes it really strange to store. Yes, I agree. Yeah, that is weird. Because I've I've taken to keeping all of my uh, all my named crew still in their cards. Yeah. Just because I don't really feel like hunting down the tile and, yeah, uh, and kind of thing. Um, but as a result, um, a crew like Gentleman Joe Card, who's mm-hmm. basically a pirate uh, uh, hold space booster, mm-hmm. uh, which I find really pretty useful, I have to keep him in my unique treasure bag or uh, yeah, in my unique treasure bag binder now because yeah. uh, he's got a unique treasure on, yep. printed on the back of him which is kind of annoying <laughs> yeah i do a similar thing i punch out i punch out the crew cards for those cards and the uts but i store mm-hmm. them in my uh, unique treasure binder because i find it a lot easier to memorize like the crew ability than the exact text of the unique treasure but it is kind mm-hmm. of annoying yeah and actually we'll probably get to storage as well now that we're I mean, at some point in this podcast, we should yeah. do storage because uh, this is, you know, newbies podcast stuff. Yeah, exactly. Makes sense. Um, oh, one other thing to mention about the Pirates of the Caribbean set. They debuted that new uh, that the new punching thing where. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. The tabs were all rounded instead of squared off. So yeah. I think they were like significantly easier to assemble than previous yeah, sets. That was a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of sad they didn't implement it earlier, but uh, yep. whatever. Yep. Um, after that, Rise of the Fiends. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I would say this set is not a great set to get into as a newbie. Uh, it was mm-hmm. one of the later sets that came out. It has some a decent amount of keywords in it, some of which are kind of complicated. And I would say mm-hmm. it's, it's definitely one of the slower sets. It has a lot of mediocre ships. It's not a very big set either, so there's not nearly as many pieces like Ocean's Edge. Kind of mm-hmm. just a middle-of-the-road set. It can be found for decent prices. Two or three years ago, it was, like, super cheap. It was really uh, common, but now I've seen... I don't see as much of it nowadays, but I would rank it as, like, a middle, kind of, like, intermediate collecting set. That's really yeah. Nice yeah, I'd say intermediate to lower because... Um, let's see. I, I volunteered to do the top ten. I won't go through that right now. Yep. But my impression after having gone through it was there is... Some really, really, really good stuff on there. Yeah. But it's kind of, it's kind of surrounded by some really not very good stuff at all. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, one good example is San Cristobal, of arguably course. the best five mast ship ever printed. Yeah. Is in that set, but it's also you know kind of alongside some really just overpriced, ineffective crap. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, there's yeah. not a lot of parody in this set. Kind of like the opposite of Barbary Coast, basically. Mm-hmm. Also, the generic crew in that set oh. were a little bit rare because they sometimes would mark a captain or something yeah. as uncommon or rare, and you go, why? Oh, what? my God. Yeah, I, I remember reading some forum posts on miniature trading about that. Like, people were like, people were really annoyed with that, which I can understand. Yeah. I don't I don't get that move at all. I think generic crew, I think this could be another topic for a podcast, like what they could have done, but... Mm-hmm. I think four generic crew on one card and then just put the keywords yeah, yeah. in the complete game rules or like on a separate little miniature master keyword list or whatever. But or making like one a full roster of the generic crew. On yeah, a exactly. Card, on a card. Yeah. yeah. And then, yeah, instead of like a rare captain in like once in a great while, you finally get one. And then it was based on like nationality, too. So like you were more likely to get like a captain of one faction than of another faction. Mm-hmm. Really frustrating, too. Yeah, I think that was partially done to uh, pad the collectability of the set because it is one of the smallest sets. Yeah. Uh, when you take, <coughs> uh, sorry, hiccup there. 
when you take out all of the uh, generic crew and all the promo material, I think there's less than 100 ships in the set. Yeah, yep. Oh, wait, maybe it's like less than 70. It's a really tiny set. Yeah, yeah, the super rares end at like number 90, but that includes like yeah. the generics and UTs and stuff. Yeah. Also a weird thing for some collectors, um, there are a number of things listed on the checklist of Rise of the Fiends that don't actually appear in the set. Yeah, oh, that's a good point. That's a good thing to mention. I would have forgotten that. Mm-hmm. Um, there was uh, there was one ship in that set that was delayed two sets, and there was uh, there was a sea dragon that was I guess originally meant to be in Rise of the Fiends, but was later printed as part of uh, Fire and Steel yep, Raptor yep. Maw, yep. which is really hard to find now, and I'd argue yeah. the best one of the three. But we'll yeah. get onto that later. Yeah, and then one thing that you'll never get. Uh, for anybody listening, if you're looking at the checklist, uh, Ocho Brazo should be listed on oh. there. So that one, oh. that actually doesn't exist. So it's basically a Kraken, but it was never actually physically produced. So don't go crazy looking for it if you're trying to collect the yeah. whole set or anything. So it's just a word of warning. <laughs> yeah, one of these days we'll have to talk about these ships in a bottle and uh, Return to Savage Shores and all that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Anyway, Fire and Steel, yeah. what are your thoughts? I would say this one is one of my, this is actually one of my least favorite sets. I don't think for a newbie it's really terrible. Um, the one interesting thing about this set is that it's so bad that you can, <laughs> there's nowhere to go but up, especially in terms of like ship speeds and point costs because there's so much like overpriced stuff in the set that if mm-hmm. you buy this first, you'll be like very pleasantly surprised by everything else. <laughs> like versus if you get like, revolution first you might look at fire and steel like really badly like you might think it's like really terrible but and fire and steel is a pretty big set it's not as big as ocean's edge but it was one of the larger sets and overall it's pretty uh just pretty slow in general like the ships are slow like i said a lot of overpriced ships and then the name of the set comes from the two gimmicky uh ship types bombardiers and then switchblades neither of Mm -hmm. which are really great for their point costs. I think uh, Switchblades can be pretty decent, actually, but overall, I would say it's pretty cheap as well, actually. I forgot to mention that. It's pretty common, so you can get it pretty easily, but overall, I wouldn't make it a high priority in terms of collecting. Yeah, Yeah. and um, to add on to that, I've just looked at my top ten list, which I won't read off. There are a couple really, really absurdly good units in it. Yep. Lord Micron. Yep. Um, But... (laughs) But after, like, the top few, the rest is stuff that absolutely wouldn't make the list in other sets. Yeah. It's, yeah, it is kind of, when I look at it, it, a lot of it is kind of mediocre. But um, uh, one thing that I forgot to mention between Rise of the Fiends and Fire and Steel, they introduced these new loyal and hostile keywords. Yep, yep. Yeah, the loyal one I don't really care about because that's basically another way of saying it belongs to this faction. Yep. They just kind of wasted card space printing that and the hostile thing on occasion will make it kind of hard to build a fleet yeah yeah i thought they were kind of interesting it was mostly based on like the flavor text so that's kind of cool because mm-hmm. a lot of people just ignore the flavor text when it can be can be a pretty fun thing especially when you're actually playing the game but overall those keywords don't really don't really have a huge impact but it was an interesting thing they did mostly unnecessary but kind of interesting from a flavor text standpoint yeah, which reminds me, at some point I'd better make some progress on that uh, that story wiki thing. I got to, I think it was uh, Blackheart, maybe, okay. or uh, El Fantasma, and I went, okay, this guy appears in, like, every set. Yeah. I've got to track him. Yeah, I think it was El Fantasma, and only I couldn't find the flavor text for the South China Seas um, card anywhere, So, because uh, I think he was one of the super rares. Anyway. Okay. Yeah, I think I have him, so I could try to find that oh, yeah. uh, for you if you want. If I didn't yeah, put it on you. MT, uh, yeah, I'll try to remember that. Yeah, that would be really quite useful. Thank yeah. you. And um, the last set that was released is uh, Savage Shores. I would say this one is really unique. It's like half a set, so that's probably the biggest mm-hmm. uh, unique thing about it. It's really, I think the card's only numbered to 52, I'm pretty sure. And, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's like half a set. It has some cool stuff in it. The weird thing about this one is kind of starting with, like, Davy Jones' Curse and Mysterious Islands and Frozen North, they started, like, this reverse power creep where ships got slower over time. And then the 
general quality, the sets and like the ships and even the named crew in some cases kind of declined a bit. But then right at the end with Savage Shores, the last set that was physically released, they uh, they kind of reversed that again. And Savage Shores is actually one of the better sets. It doesn't have mm-hmm. a ton of amazing stuff, partially because of the quantity is lower. But some of the new stuff, especially the native canoes and the hoists, are just really amazing, especially in terms of gold running. Yeah, Frontier is one of my favorite American gold runners. It's expensive, yeah. it's small, but eight cargo spaces. It's and, so good. Uh, and basically what amounts to uh, the ability to explore and and uh, take gold from an island without docking at it yep. is that's really powerful. Yeah, it's, absolutely. Yeah, I, I'd say... Almost everything in that set is at least vaguely usable. Yeah. Um, the navigators, I haven't tried anything with because they strike me as a little overpriced. Yeah. Yeah, I think they're good. I actually think they're underpriced. I think they're too powerful because you get the dot okay. roll like almost every turn you use them. But uh, I would, I don't really. Yeah, I forgot about those two navigators and cargo masters were two new types of uh, generic crew. And that's oh, yeah. they're both kind of. I would say they're both kind of underpriced for what they do. And they become kind of broken in larger games, like huge games yeah. and campaign games. But they're definitely an interesting uh, addition to the set. It does have a lot of unique stuff in it, that's for sure. Yeah, and it does have a few really good named crew. Yep. Um, and even some of the common and uncommon ships from that set are pretty dang good, too. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, if anybody is looking to get their hands on Savage Shores, it is it is one of the harder to find these days. Mm-hmm. Um because you see, it wasn't actually distributed in packs. It was only distributed in six uh, sort of special edition boxes. And uh, what you got in a box is you got one of the special edition ships. You got, I think, three. Yeah, I think it was three packs worth, in theory, of Savage yeah. Shores content. Yep. Plus, you got one of Fire and Steel and one of Rise of the Fiends. Yep. In addition, you also got one part of uh of the three cards required to build one of the sets two ten masted ships yep exactly yeah um at one point there was like a uk retailer where if i think it was kind of pricey but if you uh, basically just they they had a thing going where if you buy a box from them they'd send you a random thing if you bought all six they'd send you six different boxes yeah so you get more or less the complete set and you get two ten masters and a bunch of kind of cool uh special edition ships yeah yeah it is pretty cool i almost did that to get the celtic fury but then i didn't at the last second partly because the shipping was kind of high from the uk but... yeah the shipping was i do remember that being yeah. kind of rough yeah it like almost matches the price of what you're paying for the the boxes themselves but yeah. i don't regret it because now i've I've got all six uh, ten masted ships yeah, that's and a full awesome. set, nice. and and a full set of Savage Shores, which is pretty nice too. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I'd say all it's right. pretty average from a collecting standpoint. It was a little more common a few years ago. I got lucky with it. I got some cheap lots from eBay, but since then I don't see it as much. And yeah, other than that UK uh, eBay seller, I haven't really seen it all that much. You kind of just gotta get lucky. And then I've actually completed a bunch of the set through trading. On miniature mm-hmm. reading, so yeah, I think I might have sent you a couple bits from it too. Yeah, probably. Point. Yep. Yeah, it might have been like Nene Nui or Metal Dragon. Yep. All right. Um, and now let's talk about storage. How do you store your ships and crew? Uh, basically, since I'm such a hardcore player, I played almost 400 games of uh, Pirate CSG, so I store mm-hmm. all my ships that I use uh, punched. So I I keep them built and constructed all the time. I've never really had a problem with that. I've done that since the beginning. And like I've said on the forum a couple of times, most of my ships, uh, or all the ones, all the old ones from like when they were built in 2005, they're, they've fine, they've held up fine over the past decade plus. So I just keep all of them built. But it really depends on like what kind of uh, player versus collector you are. Like if you're more of a player, it's really annoying to build. Well, I mean, so it is fun, but it can be annoying and kind of just time consuming in general to build the ships for every single game. So if you play a lot, I would recommend keeping them constructed. I just keep them in boxes, and luckily I don't have to like travel a lot, so I just have them at home. And then I have like a my own like personal like treasure chest, which has like a bunch of boxes in it. And then uh, basically for cards, I have like all my punched cards and everything in binders. So I basically just sort it by faction, and then like by ship size and ship type. 
And then I have like a crew binder and then like a binder for unique treasures and like all the other stuff like checklists and like complete game rules from each set and things like that. Mm-hmm. I've only just started doing the, uh, the binder thing. Yeah. Uh, I think I started putting crew in a binder about a year ago and just a couple months ago, I put my unique treasures in them too. Yep. Um, something I've found real quick is an add on, you know, those little, um, this kind of card sleeves, the ones that are transparent on both sides. Yeah. Yeah. I've found if you drop all your unique, uh, not unique, uh, your generic crew in those and you slot them in backwards, uh-huh. they make this nice little pouch in the binder where you can keep them with the rest of your faction crew, but uh-huh. they won't fall out. Okay. Just those little tiles. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Um, as far as storage for ships go, I'm in the same boat as you. Uh, no pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I store them constructed. Um, what I did is, I don't think you can find them at all times of the year, but if you go to Target around the holidays, mm-hmm. you can find these plastic ornament storage boxes. Yeah. I think they're eight bucks each. Mm-hmm. Um, you can basically, uh, you buy those and they've got these little dividers they come with. So you can actually divide them into little cells and compartments. Nice. Yeah. And so I think I've got six of those now. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, uh, I mean, for the big factions like the curse, uh, English pirate, yeah. they get their own storage, but for factions that I don't have as much of say France, America, and Spain, they share, storage in one of their boxes with a minor faction like corsairs vikings mercenaries and uh jade yep absolutely yeah i've done a similar thing too in the past and you know, the past like few years my collection has expanded a little bit well mostly like late 2014 early 2015 so periodically i have to do like a kind of like a reorganizing of my collection so i'll mm-hmm. get like i basically have just like accumulating random boxes like mostly shoe boxes and some other random stuff and then some of them are like pirates boxes so i store it like one box per faction with yeah like you said i have a bunch of the i think three out of i think i have the minor factions other than barbary corsairs in one box by themselves but mm-hmm. yeah it's a pretty pretty good way to store them yeah for newer players the uh the tins that came out those might be kind of an okay option but they do tend to jumble around a bit and make it kind of hard to find stuff yeah yeah i actually like those a lot for storing cards i have uh some of my duplicate forts in there and then like some of the stuff i have like for trade or that that i might be trading out like sooner rather than later i'll put those into like a tin that's more like accessible than my my regular duplicates which are like in a big box and then i'll also store like the thing with the binders is i keep everything um and the binder's, like, in order, so there's not, like, open spots. So when I get a new ship and then I build it, I don't have anywhere in the binder to put that card. So I use, like, one of the smaller tins, like, maybe from Revolution or whatever, and I'll I'll put my spare cards, like the deck plate for the ships, I'll put those in there. And then once I get, like, 50 or 100 of those, I'll do, like, a binder. I'll redo my binders and put all those in there, like, periodically, mm-hmm. every few years or whatever. Yeah, I've... I'm in a similar position with my uh, with my named crew in my binder. I've just got to shuffle everything around when I get new stuff. Yep. But I don't get new stuff that often these days, so yeah. I don't really have to do it that much. Mm-hmm. Um, let me see. I had something that I meant to say. I don't remember what it was. Any? Oh, wait. No, I, I remember now. Uh, you mentioned keeping a lot of your spares in tins. That's what I do. Anything that's up for trade, I just kind of stack it, uh, organized by set and number in the leftover tins I have. Nice. Yep. Yeah. I think I've got like one special tin as well for stuff that is, uh, stuff that I don't feel like getting rid of, like the sleigh, which I haven't built, uh, just cause I, I'm not sure I'll ever use it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I've got like a couple of the temporary tattoos. I don't remember where I got them, nice. but I have those sitting around as well as kind of pack inserts for all the collectible stuff and, uh, and all that sitting in there. Yeah. Yeah, and I've actually started doing a collection review series on my YouTube channel, which is, mm-hmm. you just look up uh, A7X Man Ben on YouTube for anybody listening. And I might actually, and part of the reason I'm mentioning it, I might actually do like a, kind of like a collection tour of like my boxes and whatnot and how I store my ships and just to do like more visual uh, representation of it, so. Mm-hmm. That's a good idea. Yeah. Um, let me see. All right, I just remembered today... For the first time in more than a year, I'll actually be playing a game. Nice. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yay. I've I basically got my 
dad and uh, an older sibling into it at one point. Uh-huh. Uh, we also had a uh, fourth member who has since joined the Marines and kind of moved across city, so he, uh-huh. he's not really available for it anymore. Yeah. But, um, but, yeah, we should be basically just setting up something in our kitchen. We'll, uh, we'll grab a uh, grab a blue tablecloth or something and throw it yeah. over the table and just start laying down islands. Yeah, that sounds awesome. That's really exciting to hear about. Yeah, because I, I mean, I come up with a lot of fleets, not all yeah. of which are uh, are okay under the rules, as you've discovered with uh, all my posted fleets. <laughs> I kind of push the rules to the breaking point quite often. Yeah, that's right. Um, but I think instead of using one of the crazy things that are legal with the rules i'm gonna probably use something a little bit more uh normal a little bit more reserved yeah like i might try to use lib urban okay yeah nice yeah that one ship i reviewed that looks mediocre but is actually okay yeah yeah it's not a bad ship yeah i actually mm-hmm. played a game last night on basil with uh Rapozai. i went with we used uh the random setup tables that Cata captain mike used uh you can find the link in the battle reports thread on miniature trading for anybody that's listening but basically you roll a die and then there's like tables you consult, and then you you basically have like a setup, uh, and not even necessarily a build total based on what you roll with those dice. So like we had like three ships totaling eight masts. So I naturally went with like a bunch of like one masters that are like really expensive to try to like kick like the rules as much as possible. So it was a pretty weird game. Uh, you can find it in the battle reports thread, like I said. But the highlight for me. I guess I'll spoil it. I got to blow up the Enterprise, which is like a really great American gunship. I was able to blow up the Enterprise with ex- the explosives UT um, with like a one-masted Ooh. ship. So it was Ooh. pretty crazy. Yeah. That's not fair. <laughs> yeah. That is not fair right yeah. there. Yeah, actually, that's a really good idea. Is that like uh, that like game generator thing available as a standalone? Um. No, it's from Cata Captain Mike's website. So he basically just has tables that he released where you can just roll dice and then you just come up with a setup based on that. So that's really interesting. I might actually have to look into that because that might uh, that might break me out of the kind of just making interesting fleets thing and instead just yeah. kind of winging it and building the best thing that you can on the fly. Yeah, on the spot. Yeah, it really challenge. I was telling Rob Kozai, I like it because it kind of challenges you like as a fleet builder. Because you have to really think about it. And it took me a while to come up with my fleet, but I finally came up with one that was pretty cool, actually. It's pretty strange, but definitely interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because my playgroup, basically casual players, uh, aside from me. I mean, I guess you could call me a casual player because I have Mm -hmm. to look up the rules every other turn. Mm -hmm. But but basically everybody just picks out of my uh, storage boxes when we go to start a game. They just yep. go, okay, this looks kind of cool, or this is a funny name, I'm going to choose it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that makes I, sense that new players would do that, yeah. I think one of my, uh, I think my, might have been my dad, I don't remember who, they picked a French schooner from Crimson Coast, I, mm-hmm. I think it's called Le Duc de Bourgeon, or yeah. something like that. Yep. But, <laughs> but they just called it Le Duc the whole game. <laughs> yeah, that's what I would do. I would just say the Duke or whatever, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm going to see how that goes. I'm going to try not to pick overpowered stuff against them. Yeah, yeah. Because I don't want to turn them off the game or anything just by yeah. just by being unfair. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. this is perfect because we're talking about playing, and that's one of the things we haven't really talked about in terms of newbies very much. I've actually mm-hmm. made a thread that you can find on Miniature Trading called the Newbie Guide to Pirate CSG. I made it kind of quickly, but I think it has a lot of good links in it. And there is a section on playing. So I think we could talk about that a little bit. So mm-hmm. I would recommend generally starting, you know, like most people start, like 40-point games, a standard setup, not too many crazy uh, abilities, not too many crazy keywords. I would probably recommend not using the zero-limit ransom plus five crew that give you plus yeah. five points to your build total, especially if you're playing against somebody that doesn't have those. It's kind of unfair. It's kind of a strange crew that probably shouldn't exist in the first place. But yeah. other than that, once you get comfortable with like 30, 40, 50 points, once you get comfortable there, I would just recommend like uh, just kind of changing it up, like using ships you've never used before, trying like a gimmicky fleet, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Maybe do like 100 points, try like a death match for the first time. Like a death match is where you don't have gold and you basically just try to sink the other fleet. That's a style of play that some people like. And then beyond that, um, 
like I said, there's the thread on miniature training, the newbie guide, and then there's also a game ideas thread, which is a sticky thread on miniature training. Mm -hmm. So I would definitely look into that too once you get comfortable with like standard games. Yeah, I've I think I posted one in there that I came up with, which I'll have to try at some point, probably not today. Yeah. Um, but just one central island with all the gold on it, but it's surrounded by a complete ring of nasty yeah. terrain. I do like that idea. It's pretty fun. I've done stuff similar to that in the past. I think I might have to mm, maybe outlaw ships that have the ghost key, the ghost ship keyword, yeah. or the ability to just skip over terrain. Yeah. Because I would just make it no fun. Yep. Because I think the fun part of it would be just having to sail yourself in there, and uh, if you're lucky, find a route that's both got you know not too severe of Sargasso Sea, but also kind of a, a deep reef. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. In yeah, that just... sort of situation, it gets really interesting because um, getting to the island first can be important because if you all the gold's there, so any like sevens or sixes in the charger distribution are going to be found by the first ship that explores. And mm -hmm. same with like powerful UTs, but also it can be bad because they could, there could be like plague or like negative UTs, and also it could paint like a huge target on your back. Like the first ship that gets there is just going to get absolutely destroyed like right after. So yeah. yeah. And if if you uh, don't get out of there fast enough, even if there are no negative UTs, you're now a massive target for every warship out there. Yep, exactly. Yep. Because you're probably carrying 20 or 30 points worth of gold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is not really something that you want to do if you've got a slower ship. Mm-hmm. Like, say, if I was using Raven's Neck, I would never try that. Yeah, yeah. I'd wait for the cavalry to arrive first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I guess I'm looking at the newbie guide thread. I did make a, a personal website called Pirates with Ben. It's a, through the weekly mm -hmm. blog service. There's a few tabs on there, the gameplay, and then the building of fleet sections. Those two sections could be helpful to anybody listening that's like a newer player. And then there's also some good information on Cadet Captain Mike's website. So, And there's a link to that. There's a lot of links to that all over the place because a ton of people have used that site in the past. It's been up for a while too. It's not it's not like newer like my uh, site. It's been up for a while, so there's a there's a lot of good information there too that people can can look at. So, have you been on Captain Cata Captain Mike's website? I'm not sure I have. Is does he have like a bunch of top ten rankings and stuff? Or yeah, I think yeah, he does. yeah Okay, yeah, I think I've probably got his. Uh, site bookmarked it's a really interesting resource because yeah. even if you don't really uh know the game that well you can just go on there and browse say top 10 lists and you'll mm -hmm. find some ships you don't know about and might want to get your hands on some of which are even common ships yep exactly yeah. like uh say grim reaper from rise of the fiends it's yeah. not just one of the best cursed ships it's one of the best three mastered ships released yeah yeah it's really good yeah yeah, yeah. I'm actually just poking through eBay real quick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I guess another topic is uh, for newbies, sometimes uh, you don't have anybody to play with, especially if you're new and you just get into mm -hmm. the game randomly or if you find it, if you're lucky enough to find it at a store or more, more likely you find out about it online and get some ships and stuff. But then maybe mm -hmm. you don't have anybody to play with. So in that case, you could teach people. So once you're comfortable, you could play a few solitaire games like solo games. I've done that in the past. You can play against yourself. And then once mm -hmm. you get more comfortable with the rules, you could teach other players to get them into it. And that helps like expand the game and like keep it alive and whatnot. And then beyond that, there's the Vassal module, which I've used a ton over the past like year and a half. Mas Vassal is basically uh, an open source board game engine. It allows people to play uh, board games over like an online server. So you can play Pirates remotely with anybody in the world. So I've played with people in different countries. I've played a lot of games with people in California. I'm in New York in the United States right now. And it's just a really great thing to be able to play uh, online, essentially. You basically just download the program and you download the module. And then you can just start playing with people from wherever at any time. And you can also uh, save the game file and then email email it to another person. And then they can download that and like play a turn or whatever. And then they can send the file back to you. So you can play mm -hmm. through email too. So it doesn't have to be like a live game, but so that's probably the best way to find uh, players. If you don't have anybody, anybody to play with like the physical game with. Yeah. I've 
for me, I'd like to get into Vassal, but I've got so many things kind of going on in my life that yeah, picking up another hobby is yeah. is just a little bit too difficult for me. Yeah, but that's, I think that's part of the reason some people stay as collectors too, because they don't have time to play very much. And then the mm-hmm. you know even just learning the game is is definitely an, an investment to learn the complete game rules and then get the pirate code and then try to memorize mm-hmm. keywords and all that. It is a lot, so that makes yeah. sense. Although, fortunately, a lot of the keywords uh, that end up getting used are not particularly complex. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let me see. Uh, I had something there that I was thinking of, but I've lost mm-hmm. it again. Yeah. I've got really terrible short-term memory. Yeah. Um, uh, crap, what was it? If you think of something first, feel free to say it. Yeah. I'm just, yeah, I don't know. I'm lost. Oh, yeah, and then that's actually... Huh. I just said something about the pirate code. That's another thing newbies might not know about. Mm-hmm. So in the newbie guide thread, I do have links to the different documents. But yeah, so in the packs, you'll get uh, the start gear rules and the complete game rules. But that's not, oftentimes that's not quite enough to really get the full gaming experience of playing Pirate CSG. So the master keyword list has all the different keywords from all the sets. Then you don't have to have multiple uh, booklets of the complete game rules to try to like sift through them and find certain keywords that were only in like one set or whatever, like submarine and things like that. And also the pirate code is basically um, the frequently asked questions in errata that was uh, created a long time ago. And lately it's been maintained by Wolf, who is like one of the leaders of the community. And he's pretty much the rules guru that we have. And we're really lucky to have him still around. He was actually the rules, the official rules arbitrator for the game back when WizKids was still producing the game. So it's uh, the Pirate Code is a really great reference if you have questions. Most of them will be answered through that. And then if you still have a question about, uh, like, a situation or whatever, you can ask in, like, a rules thread at uh, Miniature Trading to find the answer there because Wolf still checks that, and he knows the answer to everything. So. Yeah. Also, uh, there have been a bunch of kind of updates to some keywords or point costs yep. that have been – I don't know if they were kind of made officially by WizKids in – the years after the release of sets or if they were kind of done unofficially by wolf as a way of saying oh no it should have been this or oh we were thinking about doing this but it's still useful nonetheless because it offers a lot of clarifications to situations that aren't really listed in the sets of rules you find in the packs Mm -hmm. yeah which is always one of the weakness there because okay sure it says a long ship can do this but it doesn't say it can't do this, so you'll end up in some weird situations if yeah. you don't. So the full set of rules, too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so we talked about collecting, we talked about playing, we talked about storage. There's not much else to cover, I don't think. We talked about Vass a little bit. Do you have any other ideas, like what to tell new players and advice, stuff like that? Oh, I, I did just remember something I wanted to talk about earlier. Yeah. Uh, one possible way to find a play group is to go to a local tabletop gaming store yep. and you could just try putting up something. Maybe if they have a bulletin board, put up something, say, Hey, if anybody out there still has these and still wants to, to play them, here's a phone number or an email and you might get a response. Yeah. Or sometimes, idea. sometimes you could even use the tables they have to, um, uh, to you know, set up your own small game and teach another player, and there's a small chance that if you're there on a busy day, somebody might reach out and go, "Hey, what are these? What are these? They look kind of cool." Yep. And then you could get somebody else into it and teach them too. Yep, absolutely. That's a great idea. All right. That's about all I've got there. Yeah, sounds good. All right, so this was episode two of the Pirate CSG podcast. We hope to do the third episode eventually soon here, and we'll keep you updated in the thread about uh, what we might talk about on miniature trading. So if you're a new player, feel free to give feedback, what we missed, things like that, what you liked about it. But beyond that, this is A7X Fan Ben and God Mason signing off for now. I'll be the same.